0: Welcome to the PCC Podcast, your place for CNS soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. In the next 30 minutes, I'll bring you up to date on the important peer-reviewed research and reviews from our latest issue. Let's get started. Prescription drug misuse is a growing problem. The rate of chronic, non-medical use of prescription pain relievers rose by nearly 75% between 2002 and 2003 and 2009 and 2010. The purpose of this study was to investigate the value of a prescription monitoring program in identifying prescription drug misuse among patients presenting to a resident physician outpatient psychiatry clinic at an academic medical center. Participants were 314 new patients, aged 18 years or older, presenting to the clinic from October 2011 to June 2012. Resident physicians completed a data collection form for each participant using information from the patient interview and from the Prescription Monitoring Program report. Prescription drug misuse was defined as having any one of the following five criteria in the Prescription Monitoring Program report. 1. Filled prescriptions for two or more controlled substances. 2. Obtained prescriptions from two or more providers. 3. Obtained early refills. 4. Used three or more pharmacies. And five, the Prescription Monitoring Program report conflicted with the patient's report. At least one indicator of prescription drug misuse was found in 41.7% of patients. Over 69% of the patients that the residents believed were misusing prescription drugs actually met one of the criteria for prescription drug misuse. However, The Prescription Monitoring Program report changed the management only 2.2% of the time. Prior benzodiazepine use, prior opioid use, having a personality disorder, and having chronic pain were associated with a higher percentage of prescription drug misuse compared to patients without these factors. The authors conclude that the use of the prescription monitoring program to screen patients with prior benzodiazepine and opioid use with a personality disorder and or with chronic pain may be helpful to confirm the suspicion of prescription drug misuse identified at the initial evaluation. A recent study involving psychiatric inpatients showed that low-dose doxepin failed to improve sleep disturbances in depressed patients. Low-dose doxepin has previously produced favorable results in otherwise healthy adults and elderly persons with chronic or transient insomnia. Depressed patients frequently suffer from insomnia, and failure to treat this comorbidity has been shown to hinder full remission of a major depressive episode. Exploration of promising hypnotic agents is therefore particularly crucial for this patient subgroup. In this retrospective case series, the files of 17 inpatients diagnosed with major depressive disorder and comorbid insomnia who had received a course of off-label low-dose doxepin were analyzed with regard to dose, efficacy, and safety of treatment. Hamilton Depression Rating Scale Sleep Item Scores were used to estimate the severity of sleep disturbances. After analyzing these scores over four weeks of treatment, the authors found no significant improvement in sleep, while adverse event rates were low and comparable to previous studies. The authors suggest that the results of this case series should aid as an indication and basis for further research in this area. Major depressive disorder is a prevalent and debilitating disease and one of the leading causes of disability worldwide. Primary care physicians are playing an increasingly important role in the diagnosis and treatment of this disorder. The most common first-line treatment options are the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors. These compounds share a common mechanism of action, modulating serotonin levels in the brain. While SSRIs and SNRIs are effective, many patients do not fully respond to treatment or discontinue therapy due to tolerability issues. Antidepressants with new mechanisms of action are needed to provide additional treatment options. Velazodone is an antidepressant with a distinct mechanism of action, combining serotonin reuptake inhibition with potent serotonin 1A receptor partial agonist activity. Serotonin helps regulate many brain functions, including mood, fear, sleep, appetite, and sexual behavior. Serotonin reuptake inhibitors are believed to exert their therapeutic effects by increasing serotonin levels in the brain. The combination of potent serotonin 1A partial agonism with serotonin reuptake inhibition is hypothesized to potentially shorten the onset of antidepressant activity, decrease sexual side effects, and improve anxiety symptoms associated with major depressive disorder. The efficacy and safety of Velazodone was established in two positive Phase three clinical trials in adult patients with major depressive disorder. This article provides a brief overview of the serotonin system with a focus on the serotonin 1A receptor and discusses the clinical profile of Velazodone and the role it may play in treating major depressive disorder. Support for this publication was funded by Forrest Laboratories. Early intervention in psychosis advocates view psychosis as a neurodegenerative condition that leads to inevitable decline. They have proposed a clinical staging approach to psychosis with stages including people at risk of developing a psychotic illness, people who have recently developed a psychotic illness, and people with chronic psychotic illness. There have been three main approaches to early intervention in psychosis. Some have treated people at risk of psychotic illness to prevent transition. Some have tried to detect and treat those who already have a psychotic illness quickly to reduce the duration of untreated psychosis. The main approach has been to provide a higher level of support to patients who have recently developed psychosis. By smaller caseloads for case managers, family psychoeducation, and vocational skills training for patients. Advocates of early intervention conclude that early intervention is disease modifying, despite the absence of any replicated trials showing sustained improvements. In this article, Amos demonstrates that claims of better outcomes in the early intervention literature regularly rely upon spin and bias to misrepresent negative trials as positive. For example, one article reported a quasi-experimental study which successfully reduced duration of untreated psychosis. Although all of the original measures were no different between treatment and control groups at 10-year follow-up, The authors concluded that their intervention had a sustained effect based on a measure they had created at 10-year follow-up. Amos explored similar examples throughout the early intervention literature. The majority of patients with major depressive disorder are diagnosed and treated by a primary care physician. Improvement in depressive symptoms is traditionally measured using depression rating scales. However, many clinicians are not familiar with such scales, and differences in mean scores have little intuitive meaning. In this study, improvements in specific depression and anxiety symptoms associated with depression were evaluated by assessing the shift from a more severe to less severe symptom category, which may be more intuitive to clinicians and valuable in clinical practice. Data were pooled from two large clinical trials in patients with major depressive disorder who were randomized to treatment with Velazodone 40 mg or placebo daily for eight weeks. The study was blinded to patients and study staff. Specific depression symptoms were categorized by severity at baseline prior to treatment. Improvement was evaluated by the percentage of patients who shifted from a more severe category at baseline to a less severe category after treatment. Shift from anxious depression to no anxious depression was also evaluated. On 9 of 10 depression symptoms, a significantly greater percentage of velazodone-treated patients relative to placebo-treated patients improved from a baseline category that indicated mild to severe symptoms to a category of minimal or no symptoms. A significantly greater percentage of velazodone-treated patients also shifted from the anxious-depression category to the no-anxious-depression category. This novel type of analysis may help physicians describe symptomatic change and answer the most important treatment question, are my patients' symptoms improving? Support for this publication was funded by Forrest's Laboratories. Some food products are supplemented with probiotic microorganisms because they may have health benefits. Probiotic microorganisms are live bacteria which are considered to be helpful. Supplementation with these organisms may work by changing the balance of microorganisms in the gastrointestinal tract, displacing harmful bacteria, and altering the body's response to bacteria. Persons who have schizophrenia, a severe psychiatric disorder, often have problems with their gastrointestinal functioning, especially constipation. Studies have also shown that they may have abnormalities in their response to intestinal bacteria. In this study, Dickerson and colleagues administered high-concentration supplemental probiotics or an identical appearing placebo for 14 weeks to patients with schizophrenia who were also receiving their usual psychiatric medications. The patients receiving the probiotic supplement did not show any greater improvement in their psychiatric symptoms than those who were receiving the placebo. However the patients receiving the probiotic supplement were less likely to report severe bowel difficulties over the course of the trial. The authors conclude that probiotic supplementation may help patients with their bowel functioning. This study was funded by a grant from the Stanley Medical Research Institute. Over the past decade, psychiatric illnesses, and in particular psychotic disorders in children and adolescents, have been recognized more frequently. This increase in recognition, combined with changing trends in the provision of mental health care, has led primary care physicians and pediatricians to increasingly serve as the principal treaters of psychiatrically ill youth and their families. The question for today's healthcare providers is not whether psychotic symptoms will be encountered in daily practice, but how to confidently and effectively diagnose and treat the conditions in which they manifest. The authors of this issue's rounds in the general hospital provide a primer on the evaluation and management of children and adolescents with psychiatric disorders. If you have ever been unsure about whether a young person in your practice was psychotic or simply imaginative, wondered how to evaluate such a patient and what resources to recommend, or been concerned about the use of antipsychotics and the potential for adverse side effects, then this article should prove useful for your practice. Now we invite you to engage online in an interactive CME case study from the Banner Alzheimer's Institute. The Banner Alzheimer's Institute case conference is a weekly event in which physicians and staff discuss challenging cases of patients seen at the Institute's Sted Family Memory Clinic. In this issue of The Companion, we highlight the case of Mr. A., a 62-year-old man with three years of gradually progressive difficulties with cognition and visual problems. He is misplacing items and having trouble completing sentences, reading and writing, and staying on task. He is experiencing anxiety and irritability regarding his current symptoms. Does this patient have visual agnosia, mild cognitive impairment, or Alzheimer's disease? Visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com to answer questions about this patient case and find out how your colleagues who attended the weekly case conference responded in this instructive offering. Please visit us online at primarycarecompanion.com for new postings, including an editorial from our editor-in-chief, Dr. Larry Culpepper, a new entry in the psychotherapy casebook, and the opportunity for continuing medical education credit, as well as timely case reports and special web-based interactive content. Thanks for joining me for this summary of offerings in our current issue of the Primary Care Companion for CNS Disorders. This is John Sheldon signing off. I hope you will join me for the next installment of the PCC podcast, Your Place for CNS Soundbites.